Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, brought to you by Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Here on Sketch Nerds, we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Saturday Night Live and Monty Python. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Seth Alcorn. I'm Andy Weld, and today we have joining us for the second time, Sarah Fell, and joining us for the first time, Michael Alvino. Very happy to be here for the first time. The first time. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing good. I'm just excited to see how this all happens, how it all goes down. It's important. Everybody remembers their first time, so it's, a, it's critical. Now, Michael, can you tell us about your background in comedy? Sure. Um, I got started in comedy uh, first off doing stand-up um, a couple of years ago here in the District of Columbia, and then from there got into improv. Uh, I still do a lot of improv comedy here in D.C. with a group called Stovatron and with another group called Runaway Train, and I also got involved in sketch uh, at Bad Medicine. I took a sketch writing class at Dojo Comedy with Murphy McHugh and uh, started working with Bad Medicine shortly thereafter. All right, nice. And what do you have a favorite of those, of, of the disciplines of sketch and improv? Is that one that you kind of enjoy more? Or? No, I just, I just love comedy. Um, I like them all. They're, they're very different. I think it's, um, it's hard to be a comedy lover in like each one because like they all kind of break down in certain ways. And there are skills that like don't really translate to yeah. one or the other, mm -hmm. you know? So I like, um, you know, staying involved uh, in a little bit of each. Nice. I'm always interested in whether people are more scared by improv or more scared by sketch. Yeah, I was actually going to say, I, it's, it's unusual for me to hear that you started in sketch and then went to improv. Well, the, no, I started in improv. Oh, okay, all right. I started right, in right. stand-up right. and then went to or improv. started in stand-up and, and then went, went to improv. Sketch. Sorry, that's, that's yeah. what I meant, is that you started in stand-up and went to improv. Usually it yeah. seems like it works the other way around. But right, yeah. yeah. I think in, so, and I should say, so I lived in Chicago for five years, and I did not do any comedy when I was oh, there. Oh, no. But both. No, they don't really uh, have a lot my, there. It's, no, it's, well, it's, it's very. scene, even. It's yeah. very intimidating um, yeah. to be like a hobbyist, uh, which like, I guess is what I would consider myself. But when I lived in Chicago, my roommate uh, was on a sketch, in a sketch group that headlined at I.O. every Saturday night nice. for like the five years that I lived there. And uh, my other roommate was on a Herald team at I.O., the Improv Olympic, um, while I lived there. So I was, I went to a lot of shows, yeah. um, you know, which is great. Uh, anytime someone come visit me, they would just let me in the back door. My roommates would, and we'd go there see go. shows for free. So, yeah. um, and you know, they would do things like have writing meetings uh, and things like that at our house, and I would just kind of like sit there in the background with my crackling oat brand <laughs> and uh, observe. Um, so I, you know, I had some exposure to it, but I never really got involved in Chicago because it's so it's like people go there to do it right. professionally, and I, uh, I know that's not you what went I was. to DC to do it, that's right? <laughs> no. Well, by the time I had like a professional profession figured out, I was like, okay, now I should find a hobby. And right. At that point, I didn't live in Chicago anymore. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Introducing our first sketch today is Michael. This, this is where I go. 
That's <laughs> like I yeah. said. It's my first I, uh, time. No, it's sure. your yeah, first this, time. This is how it happens. Your copy in front okay. of you. We'll so pull gets, back the curtain a little bit. What yeah. I wanted to talk about is Saturday Night Live's Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Uh, so picture yourself. It's 1991. Um, this is a transitional year for Saturday Night Live. Um, it was like uh, one of the last years with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. Uh, Phil Hartman is still on. It's the first year for Chris Farley and Chris Rock and a couple other people. And um, Phil Hartman, you know, I think you know, he was known as the glue. He was uh, a great supporting player in a lot of sketches, um, uh, revered at Saturday Night Live, but he never really had a breakout character. And uh, there was a little, I think, uh, jealousy or bitterness uh, from him at people like Mike Myers, who had Wayne, Wayne's World, and Dana Carvey with um, Church Lady and uh, George Bush. Um, and it's pre-Phil Hartman doing uh, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Um, so Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer is one of my favorite sketches. It's written by Jack Handy, also most known for Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy, which are his you know, kind of like one-liner jokes. Uh, it's a very simple sketch uh, about a caveman who was traveling on the ice, fell into a crevasse, was frozen, and then thawed out by some scientists and became a lawyer. I don't want to spoil it. I believe we have a clip. Let's run it. Mr. Keyrock, are you ready to give your summation? It's just Keyrock, Your Honor, and yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Well, he's become unfrozen and clearly is succeeding in life based on that bulky cell phone and the news that he drives a BMW. Michael, what do you like about this sketch? Uh, I like so many things about this sketch. Most of all, the I think it's just the sheer simplicity of it. It's kind of got that Jack Handy, like the joke is the joke, and there's no, I think there is some subtext, but there's not a ton. Um, and you know, they tell you what the joke is in the title of the sketch, which they show you. Then they describe what Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer is. Then he has a theme song that, again tells you what unfrozen unfrozen caveman lawyer is first he was a caveman <laughs> and now he is a lawyer more then, singing michael <laughs> yeah and unfrozen caveman lawyer and um and then you just see uh, you know phil hartman in all his glory uh delivering this very straight performance as of just like a generic corporate lawyer who every once in a while like references that he doesn't understand things. Yeah. There's something about the way Phil Hartman speaks that yes. even though it was a essentially the straight lines, the lines are pretty straight. It's almost like his voice is dripping in irony or something like that. It's, oh yeah. It's like a molassesy feel to it. 
Yeah, Seth. Oh, well, I was, I was just thinking that while I was watching this, I'm like, okay, so his Key Rock voice and his Lionel Hutz voice are almost the same. Right. And the Lionel Hutz character is? Is uh, the um, unsuccessful lawyer on The Simpsons, the oh, yes. incompetent lawyer on The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's really interesting because Key Rock does have that level of smug self-satisfaction that Lionel Hutz tries mm. to have. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting uh, to me that your your take on Phil Hartman being a little bit bitter because he didn't have a breakout because he was when he was on my favorite um, performer on Saturday oh, yeah. Night Live uh, and I was saying earlier that I've got some feelings about this sketch because this was my cast this was when oh, I started yeah. watching was sure. these guys so this is like hitting me right in them yeah you remember when you were in junior high and used to stay up late on Saturday nights. And I also, I want to say that at least through high school, possibly into college, uh, I would be in situations where I would be confused or slightly upset by something and then just turn to my friends and be like, your modern world frightens and confuses me. Because yeah. Unfrozen Caveman <laughs> Lawyer was, that was uh, the bedrock of my comedy for a while, that kind of sketch. I think that's an interesting thing that you said about like this being the bedrock of your comedy and your first SNL. Yeah, yeah. So I think oftentimes you talk about like, well, SNL's not good anymore. It's right. Like, we've passed the glory days of SNL. But the way that I think about it is that SNL was the best in your mind when you, when it was a little taboo for you to stay up late enough to watch SNL. Mm. And when it was an exciting new thing for you. So whatever that cast was, whatever like year that was, um, I think that sticks in your mind a little bit more uh, than other things. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's what I think. Even Lauren Michaels has said that, you know, in, in response to the criticism, you know, over the years that has been lobbed at SNL, that's always kind of been his response. It's like, well, are you 18 years old now or 14? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The best era of SNL is always the one you grew up with, right. I think. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I will Pretty say formative. It, it definitely comes in it, it comes in cycles. So it definitely comes in waves. Because yeah. I'm not going to tell you that the Will Ferrell years weren't great because they were, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. right. Yeah. I had written uh, one of the things I liked about this. I don't know if this is a real thing. Playing on the naive lawyer trope. Do you guys it know is. what I'm it, talking it about? In fact, is, yeah. yes. Like, I, I hope I'm not stepping on a point you were going to make. Because no. um, I was thinking you always see these guys in like, I don't know, John Grisham movies and stuff. There's some like rumpled, like Southern mm-hmm. kind of guy. He's like, I don't know much, but I know right from wrong. Right. And I don't Space know if you chicken seen from that Futurama. In, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, who yeah. is the chicken lawyer? Yes, right. that's yeah, the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this is a thing you see. Uh, from time to time in movies and TV shows. And um, I don't know if it was around in 1991. I'm just talking. But, so it um, was. I, I didn't pick up on this, but I glanced at the Wikipedia page yeah. for Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, and they cited Matlock as an inspiration, uh, for which I never watched Matlock. No. But that's the trope, is the Southern lawyer who's like, the good old, like, he's not a good old boy. He's the frumpled suit guy who defeats the big city slickers. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think Andy Griffith used to wear a seersucker for that. But I, I want to point yeah. out that nobody at this table is actually yet in the age demographic for Matlock. So that no. might be, uh, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we we still got another 20, 25 years, I think, before right. that hits. Not but quite I think yet. that kind of like, <laughs> that Southern lawyer thing is like, it's a, it's a nice place to, I don't know if it's punching, like where it's punching. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you're definitely not punching down. Um, and it doesn't come across as like a, a strike up. It's just like a nice, like these people, like you don't even realize it's a trope that's being made fun of. Right. Just, right. 
Now, in the, in the context of comedy, when you talk about punching down, what do you mean? So um, you wouldn't want to make fun of, you know, for example, if this was a joke about uh, a dead president. Un- yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy, yeah, I would do that. that. Joke That's true. <laughs> that joke happens in the future. <laughs> oh boy, I, I felt that burn from over here. Okay. No, but like a, an uneducated, um, you know, if if he wasn't, if, if the caveman didn't go to school and he was just a dumb caveman, like mm-hmm. in the Geico commercials, then uh, you wouldn't want to make fun of him. Y- yes, that was the movie Encino Man. Exactly. Yes. Very offensive movie. <laughs> yes. Something that stands out to me the first time you watch it, if you've never seen the caveman lawyer sketch before, you, uh, it starts, they do the intro, they set it up as a TV show. It very much feels like a TV show. And then Phil Hartman's character stands up, and I was expecting a caveman voice. Yeah, and right. when it comes out with Phil Hartman's voice, that alone is very funny because of the the physicality of the character, the the hair, the brow, the uh, the face more so than just the brow, and then that Phil Hartman voice comes out, and right. that alone is funny. Right, and I love how he takes his time. Like, there's a long beat when the sketch opens and he's in the courtroom and he's standing there and. Um, you know, before he even speaks, like there's just like a long moment of silence and um, and he takes his time. And I feel like when I'm writing sketches, um, not so much when I'm writing, but when we're when I'm putting together a show, you're always looking to speed things up yes. and make it punchier and higher energy and quicker. And so when the sketch opens and he's just kind of there, like slowly ambling over to the jury and, and then he just kind of pauses and even in between like right before he says but there is one thing I do know yeah he, there's so <laughs> many long pauses that are just built into the sketch that I I only that's the one part of it I don't know if you could do today mm. yeah that's interesting yeah I, I hadn't really thought the timing about that so yeah. much about that yeah, yeah. and I st- uh, kind of on the topic of it being mostly a straight sketch, but it is sold almost entirely by the characterization. Sarah, how do you write something where the joke is visual and the words are plain? Is that something that relies on dense stage directions for you? Is it working with the actors? Sketches where the jokes aren't necessarily just in the words, how do you communicate that to the performers and then to the audience? Oh, yeah. Um, That's something, you know, to be honest, I feel like I'm not very good at it. Mm. (laughs) Um, I feel like I usually write my sketches and then put them up and I'm like, this isn't physical enough. Like there's nothing like, you know, it's just people talking. There need to be more levels. Can I add more visual uh, interest to it? Um, But yeah, I think stage directions uh, would be the place for it. And then like working alongside the actor to to, like develop that with them. And a lot of it is, I mean, Phil Hartman, his comic timing is is so good. Like, I have to imagine that was all him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of a like, let's just put it this way. He is a a giant of sketch comedy, and yeah. um, yeah. But we the timing thing, the whatever he has in there, <laughs> the way he says it is so great because that told me so much about Key Rock. Right? Yeah. It told me that when he started out as a lawyer. That might have been something he did in an impassioned moment, 
but now it's something he does in every trial and he doesn't care about really selling it. He just knows it's going to work and he is so lazy that that's all he does. Yeah. It, it, it took me a second the first time I watched this sketch to figure out like, okay, he's, he's just, he's not stupid or anything like that. He's just like, he's a slimy lawyer basically who just uses the fact that he's also a caveman yeah. to win his cases. And the, right. it's the way he says, $2 million in compensatory damages and $2 million in punitive damages. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I also like the, uh, the part that they point out that the dude slipped, right? So it's no, it, he just slipped. It's not necessarily anybody's fault. And it's in front of a public library, yeah. right? Because right? they're, they're, they're loaded. Yeah. So they're taking $4 million out of the taxpayer's pocket and giving it to Rob... Hubel. Rob Schneider. No, wait, no, no, not Rob Hubel. He's you. You could tell because Rob Schneider is smaller. Right. Than I do Rob love Hubel. the fact that Rob Schneider does not get a line. Yeah. No. Sketch. No lines he at all. He does not deserve it. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, I don't want to be unfair to the guy, but that's probably probably for the best. Anyway, moving on. But I like that Dana Carvey Shots. like plays like ju it just gets one line and he's the supporting yeah. role, and that you don't usually see him in those supporting roles, and it's just a nice. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I was watching it when uh, I was watching it. I realized something that I think he had something that might have supposed to have been a laugh line and it just didn't quite land, which is when he says, Key Rock's, Key Rock's words are as true today as they were in his time. Key Rock just spent the last two minutes going, you're, uh, sometimes when I hear the car horns, it makes me want to get out of my BMW. Oh, that was true in right. like yeah. prehistory. No, I, I think that might have, that was supposed to get a little bit of a chuckle and it yeah. didn't, but you wouldn't know from his performance. It's just right. something that struck me as I was watching the. Well, I, I think watching the lap or listening to the lap lines in that surprised me because there are, there are parts that obviously make me laugh. And like the response from the studio audience is pretty muted for what I think is, to me, hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those, I don't know if it pays off more with repeated viewings or if there's just like uh, a confusion or like a, they're waiting for something more absurd to happen. I don't know. I would be interested to find out when they slotted that sketch. Yeah. Like yeah, right. the 10 to 1 sketch or something Yeah, like is that? it the 10 to 1 oh, sketch? Yeah. It's, it's weird enough to be a 10 to 1 sketch, Yeah, but, you know. And there are callbacks in it, right? Like they referenced Happy Fun Ball? Um, so those, so, were, yeah, I don't know if those are callbacks, but they ran those before each of these unfrozen caveman lawyers. Oh, before each basically. one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, it, I think it adds to the, it's it's almost like we talk about the TV trope, the the bad TV lawyer trope. It's almost like the 50s TV trope where, like, you know, brought to you by Kraft Cheese or something right, like that. Yeah. It's that mm -hmm. brought to you by X, Y, and Z that I don't think, you know, obviously there are still commercials on television now, but it's not quite as point blank as brought to you by. Right. Yeah, right. I just was wondering, I mean, Happy Fun Ball is a famous commercial sketch. I was wondering if that oh, aired oh, on the same episode and, and that was really a callback like to it. Watch us not knowing. So we're going to have to do that research. It's a, it's a very uh, funny commercial. So. Oh, wow. we, we will watch we it. Watch Maybe it. for a future episode. Wow, yeah. Clearly. <laughs> not not the next episode, I don't think. I think that no, one's... Why not? Let's do it. Okay, all right. We'll see what we could do. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was a... Maybe it was airing later in the night and like referencing... I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I yeah. think I need to find that out. Yeah, now we have absolutely. to go look yeah. into that. It would be good to know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But we've I, all looked foolish now. Yes. <laughs> uh, there is one thing I said. No, no, no. I want to point out. No, Sarah did her homework. No, 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 no
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the button on the end of it where he's running for Senate. Yeah. Because I couldn't watch that without thinking of George W. Bush and like this idea of a very cunning and conniving person, which is also sort of how they portrayed Reagan on SNL. He, um, they but, were, well, yeah, okay. I'll be quiet also, for right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, who plays folksy, maybe like yeah. Matlock yeah. in order, you know, to convey their image. Anyway, that just like really struck me when I was watching this now. You know, obviously this was before George W. Yeah. It is a fantastic punchline, though. You know, I don't know much about your Congress or your checks and balances, but what I do know is we have to lower the capital gains tax. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> like, I've been unfrozen from the way wa- they call it the, the frozen wastes, which I love. Yeah. And then he's like, and he wakes up, and he's introduced into the modern world, and it's like, you tax what? Yeah. <laughs> That's outrageous. What's great is that he was unfrozen per the little read in at the beginning of yeah. the sketch in 1988. This sketch aired in 1991. Right. Like, it's not like he's been unfrozen for a long time. No, he immediately went to law school. Yeah. Right. Wow, yeah, that's a really qu- uh, quick progression. Yeah. yeah. Unaccented, as we noted earlier. Yeah. yeah. Speaks flawless English and uh, went to law school. In yeah. A, yeah. And so he's quite become acclimated. I just want to uh, tag up a little bit on that Reagan sketch because that the the one I'm thinking I think it's the one you're thinking of yeah. too is the one where Phil Hartman That's is Phil Hartman right. right yeah and it's 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 just beautiful because he cuts back and forth within seconds of you know like. Oh, that's right, kids. Welcome to the White House. It's so good to see you. Are they gone? Good. Weinberger, go sell arms to someone. You know, it's like that kind of. <laughs> um, but it, it was a really, um, it was a really good uh, piece of uh, political sketch comedy, which is actually yeah. like Saturday Night Live. That's usually where they're they're hitting their best they're is when they're doing the political sketch. But. Real quick, anything you change, Sarah? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, like, far be it for me to, like, improve on <laughs> uh, this classic it's the whole point of the show, sketch. though. <laughs> um, I think I would have liked to see more of him in the courtroom. Like, maybe one more beat. I think, like, rule of threes, because there's just, like, the one courtroom beat, and then there's the um, campaign. Yep. Yeah. Um, you don't want to overdo it, but I think maybe there was, I mean, his, like, legal specifics were so funny. Like, I don't... One thing I do know is Maybe you could have seen yeah. like a extremely intricate thing. like legal yeah, term. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, or like, trial prep or something. I, mean, I think maybe there is room for one more beat, but it's pretty great. I'm yeah. just saying that because I want to see more of it. Right, and <laughs> and there is more, and maybe we'll watch that as we watch the Happy yeah. Fun Ball sketch. I don't know. Yeah. It's great. Oh yeah. yeah. Michael, anything you do differently? I think the commercials in the beginning haven't aged as well as the rest of it. Particularly the escort service one. Yeah, I don't think you could make that joke today. Yeah, um, which I think is fine. Um, I think you could do without it. Yeah, and Seth, anything you'd do? I, uh, I honestly, I can't, I can't think of anything else right now. But I just want to take uh, a quick second to mention the the wonderful visual gag during the the opening credits of Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, where he's slamming. <laughs> the stone axe into his hand and then it cuts to him in a suit and he's just pounding one handed to the other as you would do in court making a point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> 
This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. Today's second sketch comes from perhaps the greatest sketch comedy group of all time, Monty Python. Comprising of a variety of comedy legends, including John Cleese, Graham Chapman, and Eric Idle, the group was active from 1969 to 1983 with sporadic work afterwards. Their influence on comedy has been compared to the Beatles' influence on music. Whether consciously or unconsciously, most sketch comedy has been influenced by their absurd and surreal style. Notable works include Monty Python's Flying Circus, Monty Python's The Life of Brian, and Monty Python's The Holy Grail. This sketch, the architect's sketch, is a whirlwind. From a hard-to-understand introduction to an increasingly off-the-rails in, uh, competition for a block of apartments, the sketch showcases what the Pythons do best, with absurdity, anger, satire, and even satire of satire. Uh, the tenants arrive in the entrance hall here, are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort and past murals depicting Mediterranean scenes towards the <laughs> rotating knives. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproof. The blood pours down these chutes and the angry flesh slurps into these large... Excuse me. Hmm? Uh, did you say knives? Uh, rotating knives, yes. Are you uh, proposing to slaughter our tenants? Does that not fit in with your plans? <laughs> no, no, we, we wanted a... This sketch is dense. There's a lot happening in this sketch, which is one of the reasons I love it. There's a very loose outline of a game happening, and then there are four or five mini-games that happen within that. Michael, can you explain what a game is? I'm not sure that I can. Seth, can you explain <laughs> okay. what a game is? Okay, uh, a game is, uh, for lack of a, a better way to put it, it's sort of the rules of a particular sketch. Uh, when input A happens, then output B must follow, and usually you see that repeated uh, with one of those things happening more forcefully or the stakes being raised. It's like, oh... Uh, Clumsy Joe always slips on the ice. Uh-oh, he's carrying a vase. That's dangerous. Uh-oh, now he's carrying his wife. You know, like that kind of thing would be um, a, a kind of a, a very bad game that I just explained to you. Yeah. And Sarah, as someone who teaches sketch comedy, how would you improve upon Seth's definition? Oh, please. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm with Michael. I don't know. All right. <laughs> All right. I feel improvisers always have a pretty good handle on what game is. That's fair. Yes, because Usually. we have it. That's right. <laughs> Usually. Improvisers got game. We, we don't at all. We, we don't. <laughs> that sounded good to me. Okay. Yeah, Thank you. you. Well, said. just, I mean, for purposes of sketch, I'll just talk, call it a joke. You know, I mean, there's, there's five or six different turns this sketch takes, uh, and they're all in service of, like, changing the narrative for a new purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like individual jokes in a sketch, and then there's the sort of overarching joke of the sketch. Theme right. jokes. Like, like the, yeah. Like a caveman was unfrozen and is a lawyer now. It's yes. like the central That's joke. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And the individual jokes within that are in service of that right. game. Yeah. Does that yes. explain yeah. it? Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The, the strongest performance in this sketch for me comes from John Cleese's character which is not unusual in a Monty Python sketch 
or in anything John Cleese has ever been in. He's very expressive. Yeah. His whole part comes to a head when after thinking that the, uh, I don't even know what you'd call them, the people who own the land, the investors. Yeah. The, um, the real estate investors, The real estate developers, developers yeah. yeah. Have told him that the block of flats, he has thought, he, he's designed a, a slaughterhouse, which is not what they were looking for. Which um, is uh, a hilarious joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone noticed that. Yes. Rotating knives. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, if, you, if you watch this sketch on YouTube, and I, I urge you to, uh, the minute where it becomes obvious what's going on, you just hear someone in the audience shriek with laughter yeah. <laughs> uh, when John Cleese mentions the blood gutters of the, <laughs> the slaughterhouse. <laughs> That was where I lost yeah. it as yeah. well. And yeah. it's funny because I don't think the first time you watch it, you notice the rotate. You're kind of like, okay, that's kind of weird. Conveyor belt, rotating right. knives, and then it keeps going. And then you wait, let's go back to what he just said a second ago. Rotating knives. Yeah, which which might be why they put that in the sketch itself, right? Because yeah. um, Michael Palin's character asks him to go back and explain the rotating knives. Right. Right. Which like lends like a little bit of reality because for a second there in the audience, you're like, okay, well, I'm on the same page as these guys. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, very quickly, you know, your whole reality is upended again. Yeah. Uh, the, the John Cleese part comes to a head when he starts to yell about how he is not a Freemason and how first he doesn't want, he yells about how he does not want to be a Freemason and, uh, then he turns around and starts groveling. Please let me be a Freemason. But I love the way that John Cleese yells. I think what he does so well is enunciates. Yes. He speaks with crystal clarity. And I think some of that, I just lend it to him being British. Um, and educated at Oxford. Yeah, exactly. Believe, Cambridge. Yeah. Cambridge. He was at Cambridge. That's, Cambridge, that's right. Yeah. Him and Cambridge. Graham were in, at Cambridge, yes. and they were in the footlights. Yes. Uh, and I, I just love the way he yells, and it's something that it, it, it can almost be something you fall back on in a sketch is to get a character yelling because yeah. it automatically escalates any situation you're in. And then obviously when you can you know, pronounce things with crystal clarity, uh, it even heightens that yelling. That's yeah. one thing like I struggle with in this sketch is that uh, you know at this at the point that he does the turn from you know selling the slaughterhouse into r ranting and yelling about not being a Freemason is that there has been a you know a very well established game of like this guy's trying to sell a slaughterhouse to these real estate developers who just want some simple flats and and like that's fun like I could watch yeah. that for another five minutes and it would just I would just clap. And then it, it turns on a dime into this seemingly out of nowhere rant about Freemasonry, yeah. which is hilarious. And then it turns on a dime again into him like groveling an apology uh, without so much as like there's the justification for it is uh, I don't know where, what it is. And like I feel like a lot of times that's maybe what makes it absurdist. Yeah. But like, you know, when you're trying to write a sketch, a lot of times you're going to want to justify it. Why would this character do that? Um, and sometimes you don't, maybe you just don't have to. Yeah. They really zig when you think they're going to zag. Like <laughs> Definitely. Sorry, Seth. Oh, I was just going to say, um, uh, maybe I better let you go because this might be a little long. All right. I, I, I just, uh, just on the zig while they're going to zag, it's what I love so much about this sketch is that so much is happening. For me, it feels all contained. It doesn't feel like anything is like, two out of nowhere or anything like that. 
it all feels contained to this very weird meeting. Um, and it really does just throw new things at you all the time. Seth, now to your long point. Um, yes, although I'm going to make a short point about what you just said and then make my long point. Is that the, Good, talk more. Yeah, I will. I like talking. Um, but the the John Cleese part of the meeting and the Eric Idle part of the meeting could be two different sketches. Like you could theoretically have the John Cleese half in like the front half of the show and then do a callback with Eric Idle later on if that's right. what you wanted to do. But uh, the longer point I wanted to make is the whole zigging when they're going to zag thing is they set that up for you at the beginning. Like one of the things Monty Python is known for and usually does pretty well is link their sketches by some sort of absurd through line. Um, one of the first ones I ever saw, it's when John Cleese was in his character as the presenter, like the guy who says, uh, Monty Python's flying cuts at the beginning of the show. He's at, a, he's at a cafe and he's explaining every sketch. What they do here is they introduce this sketch using their Gumby characters, which if you've ever watched Monty Python, they're the ones with the handkerchiefs knotted on their heads and the glasses and the shorts held on with suspenders, who talk like this. Um, they have nothing to do with what's going on. It's a weird intro. It's a I weird intro. It. Yeah. Do you guys like it? Do you oh, think it works? It. It's oh, a yeah. intro to the sketch? It oh, yeah. works because it continues on, right? It's these guys it yelling this in the, the same camera. reality. It's like yeah. A whole yeah. 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 Doing that. Before yeah. It goes up to the room. Right. Yeah. The camera there and they're telling the camera to pan up and then they keep yelling that the sketch needs to start and Graham Chapman's character has to yell at them and then pour water on them to get And it them happens to stop. so frequently that he has the bucket of water right, sitting right, there yeah, ready yeah. to go. He's at the yeah, ready. That's yeah. a good I didn't point. Thought about that. Yeah. This has clearly happened before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh and, and then what they do with John Cleese's character is that yeah, okay, the 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 Masonic thing really doesn't have a whole lot of uh basis when he starts, but it makes sense for the character. It also makes sense why he's so mad. He's been rejected by the Masons and he's got an ax to grind. Um, and then in the outlink, that is going to be like a whole weird scene about Masons leading on into the next sketch. So that's how they, I guess mm -hmm. they sort of retroactively justify it by being like, yeah, we had this guy concerned about Masons and now we're going to be concerned about Masons until we get to the next main sketch. This sketch is named <laughs> at the beginning of it. They say this next sketch is called the architect's sketch which is very unusual in Monty Python or whatever. They're usually not introducing sketches by name. And I think, and maybe I'm reading too much into it in like a reverent way, um, but I think it's a parody of, it's the most direct parody of other sketches because they're basically saying, this is a sketch called the architect sketch and there's really not, it's not about architecture. No. Um, mm. And, and and maybe I'm seeing more there than there is, but I did think it was unusual that they named the sketch. Um, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna make another point because nobody's told me to shut up yet. Uh, so the Is barrel through mine. I'm just gonna do okay, it. Okay, cool. Uh, sorry, cool. my barrel idea. No. <laughs> okay. So um, the other one that I can think of is nudge nudge. Because that is introduced with a bunch of grown men acting like school children saying, I want to see Nudge Nudge. But the whole point of Nudge Nudge is to undercut the oversexed person talking to the prude sketch, that type of that type of joke. So, yeah, so I think that might be something that they're doing. When they tell you that something is a sketch, they're doing it to make fun of sketches. Right, and you even have uh, the word satire flash <laughs> on the screen as Eric Idle's building is falling apart. Yes. Yeah. says, 
Satire, satire, satire. <laughs> yeah. Which is another game or a beat in itself that I could have watched like another three or four minutes of just yeah. him selling this building on fire. It's that very loose, even larger framing device beyond the Gumby character introduction is a brief title card that says the BBC would like to apologize for this following sketch. Oh, yeah. And then it says the satire, satire. And then at the end, when they're doing the, the like fake Masonic handshake, it, it, they say, that, let's see that again in slow motion. And it's, again, that, like, extra level of television framing device. Right. And, and that kind of just goes back to the point I was making earlier about why I love this sketch is that there's just so much happening in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In fact, I want, I'm going to say I love every time they do that kind of thing. Like, I love the BBC intros and outros. I love uh, Graham Chapman as the colonel. Stop this. It's too silly. That, that guy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I love, uh, quite a bit of Monty Python, actually. Weird. Yeah, yeah weird. So surprised. Yeah, that's a shocker. <laughs> uh, let's talk about things we would do differently in this sketch. Michael. So, I mean, I've said it a couple times already. I mean, there are moments in this sketch that I want to see so much more of, like the slaughterhouse and like the building on fire and even the intro. I could have, I could have easily watched another 30 seconds of that. Um, that's it. And then, you know, I, I understand the justification for the masonry bit, but watching it, uh, like now, uh, without the context of, right. of the show, it, it doesn't serve a whole lot. You know, it's not written for the YouTube generation. Hmm. <laughs> it's written for people who would spend 20 to 30 minutes watching one show about sketch comedy. Right. Well, it was written about 45 years ago, so right. that might explain well, Hopefully the people Different listening times. to it, yeah. listening yeah. to us talk about it. Right. Well, Sarah, do you have any other thoughts or anything you'd change? Anything you... Uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, I don't know if it's something I would change. Um, it's, it's really great as is, but there are just lots of jokes and games within it that I was like, you could extend that more into its own sketch if you wanted to, and... Um, Something I really liked is this kind of like British, like talking around the problem or like understatement. Um, I don't know if yeah. that's a uniquely British thing, but I like it when British people do it. <laughs> when we, he we, says, fact, like, when he talks about the rotating knives and yeah. he's like, I see I did not correctly divine your attitude towards your tenants. Yeah. It's right. like, that is a hella understatement because yeah. you thought you were making an abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that was the thing that I was like, oh, I kind of would have liked to see like more of that, like, that game, like, I designed this killing machine and I'm going to understate it. Right. Um, but that's not, I don't know if I would change that. That's just yeah. a thing that now I, like, I want that to be its own sketch. Yeah. It's funny. We talked about that exact British trope in actually the first episode of, oh. uh, of our show. Mm -hmm. I, I should have listened to that. Well, My maybe, apologies. but no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I, that is kind of this very British trope. And I think on the topic of, wanting to see more from this. I read an interview with John Cleese where he talks about, so he left after about, I think they ended the show after about four seasons. Uh, yeah, the fourth season was half the length of the first three. Right, and the reason that John Cleese wanted to leave is that he thought they weren't doing things that were original anymore. In kind of this like, I think looking back and hearing him talk in a little bit of this like artiste kind of way. This yeah. The pretentious kind of way. But I think what makes this sketch so great in its density is its originality. And it's like, 
this is a great idea that we could flesh out into a whole sketch, but you know what? We're going to spend 45 seconds on it and do the next great thing that we can do in our space. It's like another thing where it's like, if I was like, I would never set out to write something this uh, ambitious and and it's really to their credit that they, uh, you know, put it out there and achieved it, Um, you know, kind of in contrast to the last guys we're talking about, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, where it's really just one joke hit yeah. about as hard as you can hit it yeah. four or five times here you've got you know and it's how long is this sketch like four and a half minutes maybe five Something and a half like minutes yeah, five and a half minutes the whole you know where it's got like there's how many games would you say are in this there's the guys at the beginning right yeah. there's just the general architecture setup yeah well thing. there's there's the game in between that where the guys in the beginning exist in the same reality yeah as the uh, and, then, and then there is uh, just John Cleese and his Masonic rant. Mm-hmm. There's Eric Idle and his building falling apart. And then there's the callback to the Masonic rant. Yeah, well, the sort of the punchline, you find out they actually are Masons. I, right. I yeah. do want to also point out that I'm going to say that uh, Michael Palin and Terry Jones have the game of being completely unflappable and <laughs> yeah, unmoved totally by anything that yep. happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Seth, is there anything you'd do differently in this sketch? Oh, boy. What would I do differently in this sketch? Um, I actually think I might have made a bigger deal about starting the Masonic handshake at the beginning, yeah. just punching that a little bit more. Yeah, but, a little subtle. Yeah, but that, that's, that's all I can think of. There's nothing that there's not a whole lot I'd want to do to change the sketch. It's, it's really one of my favorites. Uh, Monty Python sketches are any sketches. It's it's one that I really enjoy. Any final thoughts, anyone? No. From me. That was the architect's sketch. The architect's sketch. All right, time for final thoughts. Michael, as the guest today, why don't you come up with a rating system or a scale that we can rate these sketches on? So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, uh, you can award up to $2 million in compensatory and $2 million in punitive damages. Do we need to divide it up? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Award your damages, Michael. Um, I would give $2 million in compensatory and $2 million in punitive damages to Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. And I think I would give $2 million and maybe $2 million in compensatory and maybe another $2 million in punitive to the architects. Wow. Mm. I'm just giving the, the full amount. Yeah, yeah wow. The you're, full amount. You're a generous. Yeah. The words of the sketch nerds are as true today as yeah. they were <laughs> in rocks time. Just no, deli- no need for deliberation. It's right. the full amount. Yeah, yeah, just give them the full amount. Seth, how much, how much damages would you uh, award these sketches? Well, I would definitely uh, give Unfrozen Caveman Laurie the full amount. Uh, I did uh, $4 million in all kinds of damages to, to that sketch. And, um, I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I think I would, I would definitely give all 4 million plus two to make up 6 million, 1 million for each member of Monty Python. By the way, again, the number of pythons, the number of pythons, sketch nerds fans. I just want to point out. (laughs) <laughs> that the the three pythons that Andy named in his intro were also the three that we descri- described as the good pythons oh, well, back well, on episode one. They're all good, oh. but yeah. <laughs> Seth also just bankrupted the public library. I did. I certainly did. Uh, for me, I would say I would give Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer... Mm, 
two million in compensatory damages, but only one million in punitive damages because, and maybe this is my own fault, I thought there was more going on than there actually was. It was, it, it really was at face value. And I, the first time I watched it, I just kept thinking, no, there's got to be something else going on here <laughs> What's that I'm the just subtext? not picking up on. The sexual tension the, between oh, the judge and the no. judge, who was then, I believe, his wife when he was running for Senate. I believe it was yeah, the same actor. Oh, no, it was no, Ju- no, no, no. It was Julia, Julia Sweeney was his wife. And, um, was it Jan uh, Hooks as the judge? No, it was not Jan Hooks as the judge. I can't remember Sweeney. her name, but she. I, 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 I promise you it wasn't. All right, that's All right. fine. Uh, as, for, uh, as for the architect sketch, I would give it uh, $2 million in compensatory damages. And, oh, those guys really got hit on the head with a lot of that water down below. It creates a real hazard. So maybe two and a half million dollars in punitive damages. And Sarah, how would you dole out the funds? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of money. Hmm. I would give Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer two million compensatory I'm going to say 1.9 million in punitive. I'm docking it 0.1 million because... It's so good. Those like ads at the beginning, though, they're fun like throwaway jokes, but I don't feel like they add that much. And since you pointed it out, that escort one maybe didn't age so well. That's not, you know, it was a different time. It but I'm going to dock it point one million. Yep. Um, and then, then the architects, I'm going to give the full four million. All right, all right. Um, going towards the. All the pythons equally, the good and the... (laughs) (laughs) The good and the ones that are maybe not quite as good as the others. The good and the other good pythons. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest who brought a sketch, Michael Alvino, and our other guest, either returning or maybe for the first time, I'm not sure what the air order is, Sarah Fell. Thanks for being on today's show. Uh, Please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can also find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Michael Alvino, Sarah Fell, Seth Alcorn, I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.